You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Fantastic. Um, As always, it's an honor to open the Word of God this morning. Uh, Very, very excited. Uh, We had a great first service uh, this morning. And uh, as I was reflecting this week, I realized it's now been eight months um, that I've been on the team here at CLM, uh, which is crazy. It's absolutely flown by um, since returning from my internship in Singapore. And uh, I just want to say it's so exciting to be a part of what God is doing here in the house and what he's doing here in the city of Coventry. And I just thought, even as we were worshiping there, you know, for some of you, I want to say, do not be bystanders in what God's doing. You don't have to stand and watch and in 20 years time say, oh, did you hear what happened in Coventry? Did you hear how God broke out and say, yes, I was part of that church? No, no, no. You can say, yes, I was the church and I was so a part of what God was doing in the city of Coventry. I believe that God is going to do something incredible in our midst and continue to bring unity throughout the churches here and throughout the nation. I'm so excited. Um, I spend most of my time um, normally with the youth as part of my job, so we've just broken up for the summer now, but we run Ignite and we run Set Apart on 114, and uh, it's incredible. I've so loved seeing young people be set on fire for God and continue to be nurtured and discipled and and continue to pray for us. We're going to be back um, in September, so we're going to set some vision over the summer, so continue to pray for us as we do that, that God would breathe his life into our plans. And uh, also, next week, we will be going to Soul Survivor. Very exciting. Uh, Super excited for that. Um, It's going to be great. Not a lot of sleep. It's going to be fantastic. I'm scared. No, it's going to be fantastic. And uh, so we leave on Saturday, and there's a group of 50 of us going. And uh, we're so excited for what God is going to do. And uh, I know firsthand that just spending time, setting aside a time to bask in the presence of God changes your life. It so does. My life was changed as a 15-year-old going to camp. I went there because I wanted to find a girlfriend, and I found the Lord. So, incredible. Yes, far better. Incredible. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Uh, (laughs) Refocus. So today, yeah, so continue to pray for us. And um, today, I'm going to talk about identity. I want to talk about our identity. Now, the dictionary would define identity as the characteristics determining who or what a person or thing is. So everything that feeds into you is what makes you who you are. The characteristics make you who you are. It's your identity. Now, identity is central to humanity. It's central to who we are. If you don't believe me, just think. You know, people have stolen identity. People fake identity. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought of the, uh, the film Catch Me If You Can. It's, got, uh, it's a, based on a true story of a guy called Frank Abagnale Jr., one of the most famous imposters who between the ages of 15 and 21, so mostly as a teenager, he impersonated eight different professions. Okay, and here are some of the professions. Crazy. It didn't go for like bog standard. An airline pilot a physician, a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent, and a lawyer. Wow. Stolen identity. 
People hide their identity. Who you are can get you into trouble. People redefine their identity. They say, no, this may say this, but I want to be this. People conform their identity. You, you change who you are according to your surroundings. And so often is the case. And when people don't identify us as we want to be or perceive we should be, it can hurt. You know, I've experienced this in my life. I remember I went to Elsden Library uh, when I was a bit younger, and I went with my mom and my younger brother. So there I am, trying to be a good son. Went my, my, my mom and younger brother, and we were going to rhyme time. So like, I, I had a day of school, sixth form or something like that. I went to rhyme time with my mom, just trying to get some brownie points, you know. And uh, as a teenager, I'm not the mo- it's not the most comfortable setting going to rhyme time with your mom anyway. So I remember feeling a bit on edge. So I walked into the library, and uh, my mom got goes in with Tobias, my younger brother, and they're having rhyme time. And um, I was stood outside just feeling a bit awkward. And the lady comes across to me, taps me on the shoulder. And I turn around and she looks me in the face and she says, hello, dads can go in too. (laughs) Now, going to rhyme time with your mom, you do not want to be identified as dad. I don't even think I said anything. I think I just looked her in the face with like trying to kill her with my look. And I remember I told my mom afterwards, she loved it. She was like, ah, it's because I'm so young. I was like, no, mom, it's because I'm a man. Because I look so manly and old. It can hurt when people don't identify us the way we want to be or perceive that we should be. There are so many different ways we identify ourselves, the color of our skin, the place we are born, our parents, the city that we're from. Oh, my Kovlad. Hey. Yeah, it's not something to be proud of. No, I'm joking. It is. It is. It is. I'm a Kov boy, uh, whatever that means. And um, it could be your job or your aspirations, your profession. It could be how much you lift. <laughs> Do you lift? It can be through others' words. It can be your age. You feel like you, so much of my age is related to my identity. And these things are not necessarily bad things or don't have to be. But even if they are godly characteristics, if they are the basis for identity as a believer in Jesus Christ, we've missed something. We've got something out of whack, totally wrong. If that is the foundation of who we are and what we believe we are and the foundation of our identity, we've missed something. You see, identity is so important because it affects everything. You know, there's a famous phrase that talks about your doing flows from your being. Who you are affects what you do. And who I am, that's my identity. It affects everything from our purpose. It affects the way we engage with people. It affects the way we love people, the way we love our family, the way we love our children. It affects everything. The truth is that in Christ, we have an identity. We have been given an identity. And yes, there is a uniqueness to you. We're called and exhorted to run your race, something specific and a race for only you. God puts passions and dreams and gifts and talents in your life and in your heart. And as you get closer to him, he'll outwork that. And there's a uniqueness to your identity. But I don't want to talk about that today. I want to talk about our identity for every one of us in Christ. God tells us who we are. And we don't have to look any further 
than his word to know the basic fundamentals of our identity. Honestly, church, as we get to know this, it's so, so freeing. And you might feel, oh, this is a very inward preach, just looking at ourselves. But as I begin to unpack our identity as believers as him, you'll see more and more how our identity in Christ Jesus has nothing to do with you and I. As I focus on what Jesus has won for us, you'll see it's all about him and what he has won for us. It's liberating, it's freeing, knowing I don't have to try and define myself, but that God has already defined me. Wow. And to do that, I'm going to turn us to the book of Jude today. So if you've got a Bible or a device, turn to the book of Jude one scholar I was reading says this is the most neglected book in the New Testament. So if you don't know where it is, it's one behind Revelation. So flick right to the back, then go a little bit behind. And you'll notice that it says verse uh, one to two on the screen. And normally this would mean just the one and the two on its own. That would mean that we're reading two chapters. But Jude has no chapters, just got one. So we're just reading two verses today, and I love the theologian, C.J. Mahaney. He says this. He says that Jude is a divine postcard. I love it. If you look on your Bible, it should just cover one page, depending on how big your font is. <laughs> a divine postcard. Something penned by Jude. Let me read for us verses 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Let me read that one more time. To those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Let me pray before I continue. Lord, I thank you for the profound truths that we find in your word. And I thank you, Lord, that the truth is that we have been given an identity in you, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we explore this today, for those that do not know you or are far from you, God, I pray that you would draw them close today. And I pray for everyone that already has a relationship with you. May they be reminded afresh of your incredible grace in their calling. Your incredible grace in your love and in your keeping of them. Lord, so I pray, anoint my lips in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, kind of the backstory to how I got to Jude. We, you may have remembered that we did a James series together as a church. And um, I was reading lots of commentaries around James. And in the commentaries, it talks about a brother of James called Jude. This very Jude that we are looking at today as Jude identifies himself as, as a brother of James. So that then means, like James, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. Someone who didn't really recognize him as the Lord at the beginning, but a moment in his life changed, and his half-brother in the flesh, he says, you are the Messiah, the living God. Incredible. And here we find him penning this letter for us. The main purpose of this letter which I'm not going to focus on today, but need to make mention of, is to contend for the faith. Jude is urging his audience to contend for the faith that they have been given, the gospel that has been preached to them. Throughout this letter, there is in fact a heavy judgment on false teachers. 
And Jude urges his audience to contend for this gospel, this sweet, sweet gospel. So what do we identify? And we see that if you're making notes, if you want to read later in verses 3 and 4. So we see that this is written to an audience of Christians who are surrounded by people trying to destroy and distort the truth of God. The truth about who God is and who they are in him. So what did they want and need to know in a world full of deception and lies? You know, how many of us recognize and know that we too live in a world that is trying to deceive us of truth? That actually we're walking against the tide and against the current that is pushing back on the ways of God and the things of God. So what did Jews so want them to know before he says this to contend? He makes it so clear in verses 1 and 2. He wants us to know who we are in Jesus Christ. In a world full of deception and lies trying to draw your attention away, in this world that we live in, we need to know who we are in the kingdom of God. It changes everything, knowing who we are. To those who are called, loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, he reminds us of the gospel truth in an incredible way. You want to be reminded of the gospel, ask God who he says you are and what he has made you because of his victory on the cross. Think back to his calling you out of darkness and you will be reminded of the incredible gospel, the gospel that Jude urges his audience to contend for. Like John last week as we looked at Philippians and Paul continually says, consider, consider, consider. Jude is telling us, consider before you contend. Think about who you are before you go and fight the fight. And this is what I want to briefly do this morning consider the three incredible statements Jude makes in his opening. Three incredible, in fact, I believe life-changing truths about who we are in Jesus Christ. Jude, in this verse, is describing a Christian. Every one of us, everyone who has come to the table today, he's describing you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are called. That was poor. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you are loved. That got weird between a few people. So uh, turn to everyone around you and say, you are kept. Nice. Some people are like, nah, I ain't turning around. Right, we're going to try this. That was just a warm-up, okay? I'm going to try, you are called, loved, kept all together. You think you could do it? Yeah? Okay, after three. One, two, three. You are, you are, love it. Give yourselves a round of applause. Love it. You know, preachers only actually do that to make themselves feel good. Realize that. It's like, if you listen on the podcast, it sounds like you've got a round of applause. Uh, yeah, see, John, I've revealed John's secrets. If you're going to remember anything today, I want you to remember that truth, that you are called, you are loved by the Father, and you are kept for Christ Jesus. And we're going to unpack that today because it's so rich. You know, this isn't just the standard opening to a letter. Sinclair Ferguson, a scholar of the New Testament, says this, it is one of the sweetest openings of any book in the Bible. Wow. I want to pay attention to that sweet opening. It is packed with theology, rich 
in theology of telling us who we are in relation to God. So if you're making notes, a simple title called Loved Kept. So the first incredible truth of who God says you are is that you are called. You are called. You may think that you chose God, but I'm here to tell you that God has chosen you. God has chosen you. Now, this is a mystery intention in God. Did you, yes, at some point in your life, if you are a believer, say yes to Jesus Christ? Maybe you came down to the front and responded. Maybe you've grown up as a Christian and you've kind of, as a young person, made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you had a radical transformation. But saying that, you hold it and balance it with attention that God, did God in his sovereignty call you by name and allow the scales to fall from your eyes? Yes, you've responded to him, but he has called you out. Incredible. God is one who calls. He chose you and he desires you. Just in this one word, be reminded of his grace. His immense grace to call you out and allow you to see him as he really is. Ephesians 1 puts it incredibly. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, he says, yes, yes, Jonathan, yes, Sarah. He calls us by name. Even before the world was created. Wow. The Greek word used here is kletos. And uh, this was most often used to describe someone that was invited to a banquet. Invited to a celebration. And this word is one of the most common words used to describe a Christian. So when you think about that, we, we read called, it's ones that have been invited Invited to a celebration, invited to something incredible. The Thayer's Bible Dictionary defines it as this. Invited by God in the proclamation of the gospel to, attain, to obtain sorry, eternal salvation in the kingdom through Jesus Christ. You received an invitation by him. You know, you get some calls that are bad news. You get some calls that are just annoying. My brother has now been trained. You know, if there's a too long of a delay on the phone or like he hears an automated voice, he just shouts, PPI, puts the phone down. <laughs> so if you delay too long on the phone, he will put the phone down. You know, some of us, we just don't like answering calls. You know, you see it. You're literally doing nothing, but you're like busy. Should be changed from busy to ignorant. I'm joking. Relax. Some calls we just don't like. You don't want to receive it. But guys, this isn't a call like that. It's so, so incredible, the call that we have been given by God. He calls us from death to life. He says, oh, replace your despair. Here's some hope. If you're feeling in the darkest of places, I am the light of this world. And he's calling us from this place into this new life. I have come that you might have life and life in its fullness. Oh, God. That is what he calls you into. It's not a call that you want to decline. It's really not church. If you're here and you're still struggling and you've never made that decision to accept that call, I'd love for you to come and chat to me at the front. If you feel 
like the Holy Spirit's at work in your heart, I would love to pray for you and pray with you. Incredible truth that God has called us out of a place that we can never leave on our own by Jesus Christ that we might have life. Thank you, God. For some of us, maybe this week, a response to this is we just need to reflect on that call. Reflect on that invitation that we once and first received to life. We should never become accustomed to our salvation, to the life that he brings. His call to be a son and a daughter is not dependent on your age. It's not dependent on the color of your skin. It's not dependent on your parents. It's not dependent on your profession. It's dependent on him. In his sovereign grace, he calls you out. For the young people here, a truth that I remember hearing that changed my life a little bit, my parents, and I haven't got time to go into it now, have a dramatic story of conversion. And we kind of came to faith as a family, but I remember I was still grappling through my teen years. And I remember once a preacher saying, God has no grandchildren, only children. You're not going to get to heaven, and you're not going to be with him or have intimacy with him through the coattails of your parents. I was like, ugh. That was my plan. And I want to encourage you that if you're a young person and you see your parents having a relationship with God, whether vibrant or not, know that God calls you. You don't even have to be young. You could be old and sat here and still never made a decision or have no intimacy for yourself. You don't have to sit on the sidelines, step in because he calls you. It's a personal invitation. He calls You know, we were sat in a, a session in Singapore, and there was around 15 of us, and it had been all guys and girls that had felt a call to step into ministry. And, um, you know, we were sat with, there with a pastor, and they always like to ask us trick questions. So remember the pastor says, take some time to reflect and think about how you received your call. So all of us are like, yeah, I'm going to write down how I got my call into ministry. Some people writing about visions, God speaking through the Bible, a prophet comes into town, different affirmations all scribbling down. And then he says to us, right, great, we're all going to feed back how we receive the most important, we're like, yeah, yeah, the greatest call. Your call to be a son and daughter of the Most High. I'm like, oh, that's not what I did. The call that trumps every call, a call that trumps a call to ministry or something specific, anything is a call first and foremostly to be a son and a daughter of the king. Reflect on that. A word for some of you is that you got so wrapped up in a feeling and sense of calling to purpose that you've missed this call, your first and foremost call to be a son and a daughter. You're so intent on pursuing your passion that God has put you in you that you've forgotten about intimacy with him. Look to him again because called is an invitation to relationship. Some of us are striving to do and do and do, but God says, come and be with me. Draw near to me. A call to intimacy with him. And an encouragement, again, for those with specific call. Maybe God's put a dream or a hope in your heart. 
God only calls out what he's already placed within you. He has seen you and formed you and knitted you together in your mother's womb. And you're getting passions and a stirring to step into something. And the enemy is trying to bring fear there. But he is only calling out what he has already placed in you. He is already calling that out of you. And you say, I'm going to respond in faith. That might be for some of us. Some of us in the room, a call to action. Something that we've been sitting on for a while that you say, God, I trust you. I trust that you are in this. It was never based on you. It's always him. It's about him. Consider this this week, guys, and allow yourself to be freshly amazed by him. You know, as I thought of this, I thought the incredible story of Lazarus in John 11. Jesus, beloved, is dead. He goes, and the family come around him weeping. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. So Jesus goes. He goes to the tomb where Lazarus is dead. And I was thinking of the parallel because... Sin, church, doesn't just leave us bad or it doesn't leave us tainted. Sin leaves us dead. Those apart from Christ are spiritually dead. And Jesus, in the story of Lazarus, he stands outside of the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come out. And the call of God today is for you to come out. He stands outside of your grave and he says, come on, come out. Come out of your dead place. And Lazarus, he gets up, takes off his grave clothes, and comes to life. That is the call that Jesus puts out. As he died on the cross, he went to the grave. And he stayed in the tomb for three days. But he left that tomb, church. And as he walks away from the tomb, he looks back at you in your tomb. And he says, come out. I've got a place for you here. There is a home for you here. There is life for you here. That is the call that we have. You might look at that word called and think, ah, what does that even mean? It means everything. Wow. How incredible is this God? The call has been made and it is our choice to respond to that. Let us choose to respond to that every day of our lives. To say, yes, Jesus, I choose you. I respond to that call with my everything. Why on earth this gracious call? Why for this unmerited, undeserved calling, Jude tells us, it's because we're loved by God. You are called and you are loved by God the Father. In some translation it says beloved, present tense, right now, right where you sit, you are loved by God. You might come into here feeling like the world's on your shoulders, feeling like you're the worst of sinners, and yet you sit being loved by God. I can't get my head around that. You know, I was listening to a, a, a preach by a pastor once, and he said, so often in pastoral ministry, people sit there weeping, and they say, I don't understand how God can call me. I don't understand how God can love me. And the pastor looks at me and says, neither do I. It's like, not the response I was looking for. Neither do I. But guys, I have no idea why. God in his kindness, God in his mercy, 
calls us out because of his great love. It is not because of your virtue. Sorry if I'm going to shake up your world. It's not because you are a good person or because you're kind or because you've got nice hair or nice teeth. He has called you out into relationship. He has put the invitation through the proclamation of the gospel because of his love. Wow. That means, like the song Reckless Love, whatever your stance on it theologically, that you couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. That is the love of God. Church is of paramount importance. We begin to seek to grasp more this love of God. We can read and hear of his love as we do in the Psalms. David sings of God's unfailing love. He talks of it reaching to the heavens, enduring forever, being better than life itself. Going through his word, through creation, tells of his glory and of his love to you and for, and for us. But we don't just need to read of it or hear it. Some of us are so struggling and thinking, I don't feel it. I don't feel loved by God. And, and you try and look inward. And try and look in yourself and think, oh, look for a reason for God to love you. And the painful news is that if you look inward, you're not going to find a reason for his love. Oh, we are unworthy of God's love. We are unworthy of his call. That's why it makes it all the more spectacular. But if you're looking for proof or a demonstration of his love, you have to look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 tells us, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, as you say to him, I, I'm not convinced of your love, God. God says, what more would you have me do? I crushed my own son. He was beaten. He was mocked. He was scorned. They tore a crown of thorns on his head. They put a spear through his side. I crush my son that you might have life is not, not enough to show you my love. Wow. God, I, I look to the cross and I see your love. His blood poured out for you and I that we might have life. How incredible is this love? Being rooted and established in this love is essential to our identity, church. It's not something airy-fairy or just talk about love. His love changes everything. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 demonstrates this. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. That was his prayer for you. That's my prayer for you and for I, that we would grasp this four-dimensional love, this love that exceeds understanding and expectation. What love. Wow. You know, we were sat in another session, and again, we had a trick question thrown at us. And the pastor said to us, what does it mean to love God? 
what does it mean to love God? We're like, oh. And we were just allowed to use our Bible, so I couldn't go to YouTube. <laughs> it's gutted. What does it mean to love God? You know, and we gave some great answers. You know, some say obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Some say service. Some say worship or my life as a living sacrifice. And the pastor said, yes, yes, all good. But in my 40 years of ministry, for me, my understanding of what it means for me to love God is to allow God to love me. To allow God to love me. To accept the invitation and the call to his love and let it saturate every part of my life. That you and I can overflow with this love. Why do you think Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. We need to remain in this love as Paul prays. Because only in that place can we do works for the kingdom of God. For some of us, I'm especially speaking to some of the men in the room. Allow yourself to be touched by the love of God again. Don't allow your hearts to become hardened by this. His love isn't like an earthly father. His love isn't like an earthly love. It is not fickle and changing. It is steadfast and unchanging. That is the love of God. When we have an improper grasp of God's love, it affects everything. We will seek more love. Our soul longs for its creator. It longs to be met by its creator. And if we don't find it in him, we'll look elsewhere. Some of us are still living for man's approval because we are not allowing God's love to hold us and give us acceptance. You're looking for it in your friendship groups and making stupid decisions because you want that acceptance, you want that love. I get it, it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. Maybe you're trying to find it in relationships. Your soul is crying out for the love of creator and yet you try and impose that on a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you're so consistently longing to find that love in someone. You're not going to find it in someone, you're going to find it in him. Even for those that are married, you're putting an expectation of love and imposing something of them that they need to meet this need when only God can. And that's going to cause pain and disruption in your marriage. Look to him for his love because it is there. It is there, church. He's not begrudging to give it. Some of us in this room are gripped by shame and condemnation because we don't yet grasp any of this love. Church isn't a place for those pretending to be pious and holy. We are called God's holy people and our heart is that we will become more and more like that. That by his grace, we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But church, you don't have to come here and pretend. Let his love free you from that condemnation. Let it free you from that shame. We need this assurance of his love. As I said, it's, it's not something that is like the world. You know, it's not something that is airy-fairy. This love changes everything. It's what causes missionaries to go out and die for the sake of sharing this love with others. I think of Jim Elliott, who as a young man, he went out to the mission field to get to an unreached people group. 
and he kept walking forward and they speared him to death. A young man in the height of his life who had experienced the love of God, the life-changing love of God, was called by God because of his love and yet he died to tell others about it. That is the sort of love I'm talking about. Jim Elliot's got a famous quote that says, no fool is the man that gives what he cannot keep, cannot keep your life to gain what you cannot lose. Wow, so challenged by that. That is the love that I'm talking about. This is the God we serve. As I talk about being called, loved, it might just sound like our identity relates to our past and our present. You know, we've been called before eternity past, loved right here, right now. But Jude makes it clear that's not where it ends. He says, you have been called, you are loved and are being kept. Those church that he calls, he keeps them because he loves them. Wow. I've been so challenged by this for the last few weeks. Church, I feel like if we can grasp some of this, it will change the face of our church. If we have believers walking our identity, walking knowing that we are called by nothing of ourselves, knowing that it's because we're loved and knowing that we are kept by him right now, right here and for eternity, it will change the way we live. It will change the way we share. Because you'll say, I want you to know you are called, you are loved and you are kept. It changes everything. The word here for kept, for Jesus Christ, in the Greek is terio. And it literally means to attend carefully or guard. Those he calls God guards. He doesn't call you from the grave and then leave you. Because of his immense love, he not only calls you, but walks with you every day. He wants you to step into everything that he's put in you. He wants you to know what it is to walk in his grace. Because his grace doesn't just save church. His grace sustains. His grace sanctifies. Day in and day out as we walk with him. This is what it means for us to have our identity in him. May invite the band up as I draw to a close this afternoon. You know, we really see this in Jude in his closing in verse 24 and 25 about the keeping power of God. He says this To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, by glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The one who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you glorious. Church, there is a hope that awaits that he will keep you for. Our identity is knowing that we are citizens of heaven and we are kept by our Savior until we get there. Does this mean we completely stop and we play no part? No. We persevere because he preserves us and holds us. We walk with him and say, God, I trust your promises and I choose to press into you. But what does this mean for us right now? It means, church, you can rest in his faithfulness. Some of us are gripped with anxiety about our future and what is going to happen or where this is going to come from or what this is going to look like. But trust the one that keeps you today. 
rest in Him. Find that divine rest. Like David, you can say, my soul finds rest in God. It means you can take great joy knowing that one day you will see Him and you will know Him. To a place where He will wipe every tear. Church, we will know Him. That is the hope that we have. It is a great and wonderful truth of Scripture that God is faithful and keep forever those that He has called. He is the author and He is the perfecter. And today, I hope that for a moment I can shift your gaze from your situation that you can look at your author and perfecter. His keeping grace, He does not want you to stumble along to the finish. He wants you to throw the sin that entangles, throw the mindsets that hinder, and say, Jesus, I pursue you. I thank you that you keep me. I thank you that you hold me. Why do I know that I'll make it to the end? Because Jesus has already run that race. And he looks at me and he calls me by name. And this morning, he calls you by name and he will keep you because he loves you. And you can rest in that today. Let your faith arise again today. He intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. Jesus himself says in John 10, My sheep know my voice. I know them and no one can snatch them from my hand. You do not need to live in fear. He holds you. Believer, Christian, called out one, you are kept because of the love of your Father. He will hold you. Your identity brings that hope. Can I invite us to stand as I pray for us this morning? I invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes as as God ministers this morning, I pray that this has been a reminder, not of something you can be, but something that in Christ Jesus you already are. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this immense grace we are reminded of in this. Lord, we thank you that you have called us, you have lifted us, you have plucked us from the miry clay. We thank you that you walk with us every day, that we can know what it is to walk with your Holy Spirit and walk in step with you. And we thank you that it's because not of our goodness, of our kindness or our virtue, but because of your great love, oh God. And we rest in that today. I pray for those that have a sense of unworthiness that is weighing on their shoulders. We say, be lifted in the name of Jesus. We say, look to your King in this moment. Lord, I pray for those that are gripped by burden and fear of their future. And we say, Lord, you are one that calls. You are one that keeps, God. May they rest in your promise today. I pray, Lord, even as we worship, may you minister, minister of who we are in you. Jesus, we glorify you. Hallelujah.